Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. Last week was absolutely incredible. We were all in a good mood. Um, we were cracking jokes. We were making fun of Spurs. I mean, like, what better way to record a podcast? Like, what better circumstances? Well, leave it up to Chelsea to ruin that all completely. So, uh, this week we're going to have two episodes um, put out again. We're going to start trying to make this our new thing, hopefully. So, first episode, aka this one, is going to be uh, just a quick recap of the Kiev match, and uh, we're going to go really in-depth in the Wolverhampton match. Don't worry, we're going to talk everything Chelsea-Wolves, break down all of the dilemmas slash distractions. Um, and then our second episode is actually going to be where we talk about recent Ch- Chelsea news, uh, like uh, what does uh, Zidane going back to Real Madrid mean for us, transfer ban update, um, some Twitter questions, and then, of course, our match preview against both Kiev and the second leg. Um, and we will go um, even more in-depth in the Everton preview where we play them on Sundays. So uh, first things first, uh, Andres is joining me today. So Andres, uh, without further ado, how you doing, bud? Um, I'm a little tired, not going to lie. The fatigue is kicking in, much like to our Chelsea squad. We recently got a a puppy, so longer nights than usual with a a little baby that can't sleep through the night. So been dealing with that on top of all this Chelsea crap, mm. essentially. So yeah, it's a uh, mistake, my friend. <laughs> I've uh, yeah. tied myself down. Yeah, you're officially wifed up now that you have a puppy. So, um, Psalm's <laughs> obviously not here. He can't join us again. Uh, much like the Chelsea squad, he's not functioning at full force. He has a he has an illness right now, so um, apparently that's more important than being on the podcast. Just like law school is more important than being on the podcast. So, fuck off, Sam. That's really cool of you to get sick. Um, anyways, let's get right into it. So I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you know we'll just do like a quick recap, quick thoughts, especially heading into the second leg. So uh, we did play Dynamo Kiev um, on Thursday. And I'd like to start with the good news first, is that we won 3-0. Um, <laughs> our starting lineup, uh, we had Kepa in goal, Alonso back out on the left, Luis and Christensen as our center backs, Zapacosta on the right, midfield three of Jorginho, Kovacic, and Barkley, and uh, front three of William, Pedro, and Hazard. So basically, uh, it was uh, just another night at the office. We took care of business. I mean, uh, dominated possession. We had 60% of it. We had uh, 12 shots, eight of them on target. Kiev had four and zero on target. Uh, Pedro with a with great movement for that first goal. Willian uh, stealing the show with probably the prettiest goal of the night. And Callum Hudson Adoy showing us again how decisive he could be in front of net. Um, I think that's the fourth time that Callum Hudson Adoy has scored the third goal in a three nil win. Um, I could be wrong, but I thought I saw that on Twitter somewhere. So, anyways, I mean, Andres, just your basic quick thoughts about this game uh, before and after. Yeah, so before the game, I, I put it out up there that it's it's no longer that I'm mad about the starting 11. It's just a little bit of a disappointment. Yes, you have to come in strong and win leg one, but I still don't understand why when we've seen the fatigue kick in, we can't give Cho a full 90 minutes. So I was pretty bummed out about that. During the game, obviously, Sari's decision was justified because both Pedro and Williams scored goals. But so did Cho. So um, 
Yeah, I was just a little bummed out about the decision. I thought that Chelsea could have won this game 8-0 easily, just not so clinical in front of in front of goal. And, you know, Giroud did the typical Giroud thing. I thought he had a decent game, back to goal, kind of dominated the air and, and, and hold-up play. So uh, good outing for him. Wish he could have gotten on the scoreboard for himself, but... Yeah, he seems to he seems to enjoy the Europa League nights, and hopefully he can continue to lead the line all the way to to some uh, to some silverware. And and Giroud doing something uh, very Giroud like zero shots and uh, zero shots on target as well. So I mean, just he really didn't face the opposition goal with the ball at his feet. But again, I mean that's not his job. So shout out to Giroud, you make the impossible possible. Um, I do want to move on because, I mean, my thoughts pretty much reflect yours. I was frustrated at the starting 11, but you can't really argue when your team wins 3-0 um, and and did it that convincingly. And I made that argument after the match as well where it's like we could argue all we want about starting 11s, but if we wind up picking up a result out of that match, a.k.a. three points like we did convincingly, then the selection's warranted. We just kind of have to save our criticism for another day, um, a.k.a. The Wolverhampton match, <laughs> very much uh, a reason to criticize our starting eleven because I don't want to say that they weren't at it, but um, there was just no end product, no cutting edge, no no will to run beyond the strikers or even get in the box for that matter. So, anyways, let me talk about the starting eleven. Uh, I'll give you the lineups and then we can get into it. So we had Kepa and Goal, uh, Emerson back out on the left, Louise and Rudiger in the middle, Dave on the right. Midfield three of Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic. Tons of goals in there, guys. Uh, Pedro, <laughs> Hazard, and Iguain leading the line. So going into this match, just to give some context about why this was so disappointing, and in case you live uh, under a rock, I'll remind you guys. Spurs dropped three points against Southampton earlier in the week thanks to James Ward-Prowse, who, by the way, has been on like an absolute tear lately. Um, I know it's, we don't talk about Southampton at all. <laughs> but yeah, just thought I'd shout that Why out. Why would we? Why would we? Um, Arsenal and Man U were about to play after our match. So that means either one of them or both of them were going to drop points for sure. Turns out Man United dropped all three. Arsenal Arsenal won 2 nothing. Um, and then we also had the background story of Wolves embarrassing us when we went to Molyneux earlier in the year. So not only did we... I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say we got played off the park, but 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 Wolves handed it to us when we were there. And then they came here and put in a proper performance. Probably should have walked away with three points if it wasn't for Eden Hazard. And somehow we still almost lose this match off of Wolves' only shot on target. And probably the most unconvincing, unsatisfying goal I've ever seen in my life. So... Uh, with that being said, we had 76% possession, 22 total shots, six on target, Jeez. compared to Wolverhampton's two shots, one on target, <laughs> 24% possession. Um, we nearly had a thousand touches on the ball in this game. I mean, Andres, what were your initial reactions? Man, I I said it last week. I was really hoping that Sari would continue to absorb some of the pressure especially against Wolves, who usually likes to operate in a very counterattacking fashion, which, as we saw, one chance, one goal, which is extremely frustrating. But they sat deep, and we went back to Sari wanting to play his brand of football and just 
possessing left and right, left and right, all just like recycling possession. And that's not how we've been operating recently. That's not how we've found kind of some success. And, and that's kind of what I figured was going to happen here. We're going to be trapped into going back to that lackadaisical play style. We, you mentioned there was no runs past the forwards and there was just no room to do that because the, the Wolves wingbacks were so tucked back that there was just no space to operate in the final third. I was really hoping we could bait them into our half and then break through quickly, but Wolves set up themselves like they should against a top six side, and they were very, very um, tactically uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? They, were, they just had a game plan and they stuck to it. They didn't see – like whenever they had certain counterattacks, they didn't all commit forward. Even the goal they scored only had like three players involved on their end. So they were trying to just get one point and they came out with three. And um, what's their manager's name? Spiritu Santu looks like a freaking genius right now because once again, he came into a top six side and got points. I think they're the only team with double digit points against the top six outside of the top six. So props to them. But at the same time, it's like, sorry, you've, we lost to this tactic before. Like, what does it take, man? Like, what at what point does it click? I mean, yeah, sorry I did touch on, like, the whole ball movement being way too slow. And, I mean, it just seemed ridiculous at times how – especially when we pass it across the back line. I don't think I get as irritated when we're around the box as, a, as much as I do when, we're, when we pass it along the back. Each defender takes two, three, sometimes even four touches to play a sideways pass, maybe 15 (laughs) or 20 yards. And it's just there's no sense of urgency. So how are you supposed to spark any sort of attack? How are you supposed to shift shapes on the pitch, drag players out of position, um, and make the opposition uncomfortable and move the ball quickly if you're taking that many touches on the ball? That's number one. Number two, I am done with Mateo Kovacic playing – any of the four, any of the two midfield positions in front of Jorginho. If Kovacic plays, he should play as a six. He has no attacking bones in his body. I, I rate him as a player. I think his touch is phenomenal. I think his ability to squeeze out of small spaces and, 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 and recycle possession is brilliant. But that's similar to Jorginho. Right. I mean, and we have two players that are very similar in that sense that they love to play these quick one two touch passes, but don't really make the supporting runs because one, that's not Jorginho's job. But two, it's Kovacic's job and he's just not equipped to do that. Now, that's just the type of player he is. Again, I rate him as a footballer, but not in this position. Now, I know RLC is still two or three weeks away from full fitness. Sorry, I said that earlier in the week. But listen, there's eight match days left in the Premier League. We need to be fielding our best 11 every single match. He'll have the whole summer to to rest and recover. Now, from what I saw, he looked good physically. I'm talking about Loftus Cheek. I thought I thought he was moving well. He was picking up the ball. He wasn't afraid of making contact. He got he got bundled over a few times and 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 stood right back up. I didn't really see a a a, a visible issue with his back. Now, whether Sari's talking about his, his, his cardio or, or his uh, his endurance or his stamina, I mean, that's a different story. But even if you could get 45 minutes or an hour out of Loftus-Cheek, why don't you? I don't understand why 
he comes in time and time again, him and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Callum Hudson-Odoi didn't have the greatest game, but Loftus-Cheek always comes in, and he's been so consistent at being impactful off the bench. Now, I understand that Sarri put him in with 30 minutes left in the game, and he did make that tweak to 4-2-3-1 to be a little bit more direct. But at the same time, he should have started this game. I mean, I just feel like it would have put Wolves on their heels even more. And what Loftus-Cheek does is something that no one else in our midfield could do. They can beat a man 1v1. They can make defenses uncomfortable. They could break down the midfield or break in between the lines on their own. Now, I mean, you touched upon it. We, we, we have to give credit where credit's due, right? Because I thought Wolves executed their game plan to perfection. They beat us in the same way we, we would beat teams in the past. Like, this was a typical vintage Chelsea performance <laughs> in a way, right? Where, like, it was a really low, organized defensive block. And then you just relied on a bit of magic from a few of your forward players to, to, to sort of nick a result. And that's exactly what Wolves did. I am going to say this. Guys like Raul Jimenez, that's the type of striker I would like to see in our side. I feel like that's what our side is missing. That guy up top that will just run through a brick wall to get the ball. And that's exactly what he did on that goal. I mean, he squeezed it in, and he's having a phenomenal season. He's great at hold-up play. He drags defenders out of out of their positions. He's he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant player. And I last season I was I I, I was foaming at the mouth at the idea of us getting Richarlison. The second we were linked with him, I was like, oh my god, this sounds awesome. And then Everton wound up plucking him for a ridiculous transfer fee. But this year, I think it's Raúl Jiménez. I I mean, I'm I'm I don't think he could be like a starting striker, but good God, man. As a role player, that guy's fucking awesome. He's just like every now and then you see one of these players come from the promoted sides and you're like, wow, he's he's like he, he can cut it at a bigger side. So, yeah, I mean, shout out. I mean, shout out the Wolves. They, they were actually really good. And being in the U.S., their fans were ridiculous. You could hear them the whole entire match. So I don't understand why Sorry was saying, oh, they were unorganized and, you know, no, I. I really don't buy that because as Chelsea fans, we if any if any fan appreciates a performance like that, it's a Chelsea fan. So Yeah, I, I wanted to, to to like comment on your your point on RLC and, and you're right. Like if he's not if he's not fit to to play a full game, it doesn't mean you can't start the guy. If you bring in a guy who's looking to to catch the opponent off guard and attack and score, like why not start with that? Get your goal. And then you can bring Kovacic, who is most more likely to be sitting deeper, more defensively sound, and will kind of keep the result. Like that's a part of of the tactics today that that really bugged me. But I'm I I think we're about to talk about the the so wanted Plan B that we finally got to see in this game. So I'll, I'll wait to talk about that in a second. Yeah, I mean. Uh shockingly and and i remember the group chat just absolutely going off we were all trying to just trying to decide what the hell is going on um but at first it did look like a 442 but then we realized that you know it was actually sorry switching to a 4231 and uh it, it all started when he replaced Jorginho with william in the 72nd minute so earlier in the game uh he brought on callum hudson adoy and lotus cheek and took off kovacic and pedro and then he threw on uh william for Jorginho. And basically the way it worked was we had the same back four, uh, Emerson, Louise, Rudiger, and Dave. But the two sitting in front of them were actually Conte and Loftus-Cheek. They played as a double pivot. Willian was on the left of the three. Hazard was at number 10 playing up the middle. Kalmanson Adoy on the right. Iguain up top. So, I mean, I guess the real question here is, is, is 
does Sari genuinely want to be more direct in a match like that? Or was this just a panic change in the hopes that he could possibly nick some sort of positivity out of it? I 100% think this was a panic move. Um, yes, he could. He switched to a 4-2-3-1. To me, as the game progressed after the switch, it looked more like a 4-1-4-1 because Lotus-Cheek was pushing way further forward than than Conte was. But the thing is, if, it, if this was plan B, we would have seen a tactical change. Like, yes, you can change the system and the, and the, the formation, but nothing changed in our game. We weren't doing anything different than what we had been doing before. And again, if it wasn't for the moment of magic, we would have lost this game 1-0. But sorry, I think sorry just did this because it's like, oh, I, I'm going to save my my own ass. Like, I changed to a 4-2-3-1. People can't say that I didn't have plan B. Plan B is what Mourinho did where he would launch Ivanovic up top and start pounding balls into the box because he knew his players would win it in the air. Iguain disappeared from this game. Plan B would have been to, to also add Giroud and actually try to find the guy in the box. Or I saw David Luiz maraud up front a little bit. If you told me that David Luiz was staying up there to try to get a goal, then that's plan B. But this was just moving little chess pieces in the board and calling it a totally different game like it, it wasn't and that's what was disappointing for me it, that it looked and it was promising for a plan b but in reality it's just attacking substitutions doing more of the same it also seemed like we were playing a long ball a little bit more too like it, it was just a lot more direct our wingers were getting the ball they're running and they're trying to to, to, to spray something in the box or cut cut the ball back now I don't know if it was sorry adapting to the actual match itself. I I just I just think it was more of a panic move like you said Andres. It it didn't there was no real tactical shift. I mean, we played it very very safe in that formation. Now, with that being said, could sorry tactically adapt this formation to play a similar style to his 4-3-3? 100% he can. All he has to do is push one midfielder a little bit further up and drop the other one back. I mean, we did that. We actually did that against City, and we were talking about it. We did that uh, at times against Spurs as well, where Kovacic would drop in next to Jorginho, and Conte would do the pressing a little bit higher up the pitch. Now the only difference is we have the wingers that aren't necessarily playing the winger position in a 4-2-3-1, right? They're playing kind of like a left center mid right center mid type thing where they stay compact defensively but in the attack they spread out and create that width i saw more width with the 4-2-3-1 than i did with the 4-3-3 and i feel like a big reason for that is the 4-2-3-1 is really good at disguising your side uh, or it's great at disguising a side that doesn't have great attacking fullbacks and we don't have great attacking fullbacks we get the width from the three right and those guys are the ones that run the show now, the 4-3-3, as Sari said, you know, it, it just wasn't working. We weren't moving the ball fast enough. Players weren't moving around Jorginho, as, as Sari said. So I I actually think we looked better in the 4-2-3-1 than we did in the 4-3-3, being more direct. And I'm talking about the ball movement and the penetration as well, right? So if Sari could find a way to adapt this and and, and get the most out of this type of formation – Chelsea as a football club and the footballing world in general has seen a lot of success using this formation, right? Like I, I, if you go back 15, 20 years, it's all 4-4-2. Andres, you and I are about the same age. When we were growing up, it was all 4-4-2. You play with two center midfielders, a left mid or yep. right mid, and two strikers, and you just play super direct. And that's that's the way we grew up learning football. Nowadays, 
that standard formation is not necessarily the 4-4-2. It's more like a 4-2-3-1. And, and we're starting to see it. We did see it a lot more in the football world. And then there was that trend, you know, the last two, three years of everybody playing three at the back. And now this whole diamond midfield trend is a thing. But this is a standard formation that players should be able to play. So with that being said, I'm going to quote Sorry here. And I just want you to tell me what he means by this, okay? And and I want to know if you agree with him because this totally rubbed me the wrong way. He said after the match, he said, quote, uh, if the other players don't move without the ball, he's in trouble. He's talking about Jorginho, by the way. Sorry, I didn't mention that. He said, quote, if the other players don't move without the ball, he's in trouble. He's really very able to play at one touch. But if you want to play one touch, you need movements from other players. He's not suitable for the 4-2-3-1. Now, this pissed me off. And before I get into it, what, what was your take on that, Andres? I mean, do you buy into that? So so the, my first take was this. Like, Sari needs to stop limiting what his players can and can't do. That it has to be, like, the most, like, disheartening thing. For one, as a fan, you're telling me that your players can't play football. And two, as a player, like... What like you you see me every day in practice and now you tell me I can't play a different formation like what what does that make me like I hate that he does it with Cho he does it with Jorginho weekly which hurts him in the eyes of the fans because fans now think that Jorginho is like Sorry's little pet boy and in, in reality he's just another player but it's yeah. the point that like Jorginho even said that too yeah he had to had to come out and say that this week in an interview but the the that's that's the first thing that bugged me it's like dude you stop doing that like. Obviously, these guys are professionals. They should be able to be tactically flexible. But the other thing, and we talked about this before, and it's just like we've seen the non-physical destroyer being a 4-2-3-1 here at Chelsea. We won two leagues with Cesc Fabregas, arguably the least athletic and least mobile, seven or mid and a double pivot in the past five years. And he was stellar in the position. And that was with... Um, playing Matic next to the first time Matic around. the first time around, right? And and still worked out well. And we didn't Not have attacking fullbacks. Yeah. yeah, we had Ivanovic as a fullback and on the right, and Aspie on the left the first time we won the the league with that. So it's just like at this point, like sorry, just likes to. And we used to say it was honesty, whatever. Now I'm just going to call it stubbornness. Like these quotes he's saying about the players and stuff and how they can't do certain things and whatnot. That's just him being like tactically inflexible because like you said being direct may play to our advantage and i think Jorginho could still do a bit in a double pivot as long as conte is near him which he would be and if he doesn't you sub him out late in the game to get the goals like that's the point of having a bench and having a 22-man squad so it's just like don't tell me before you even try it that Jorginho doesn't work on it let's try it out Jorginho can pick a long pass. He can still move the ball quickly in a double pivot. Nobody says he doesn't have to, like, can't do that anymore and go from there. It's just, I, I was just very annoyed with that quote. Yeah, you, you make a good point. Like, okay, if a player like Jorginho can't play in a 4-2-3-1, then why the fuck did Sesquin two titles doing that? And being arguably our most creative midfield player at the time, doing almost it as well. Almost broke the assist record. Almost. And, yeah, and, and like, and this is the reason why this quote puts me off is because you're telling Chelsea fans and the board, and that's the more important thing is he's telling the board that they just spent fifty plus million pounds on a central midfielder that could only play in one system, and it's just. 
it's almost suicidal for him to say something like that, especially especially going into the run in. You know, we have eight games left, and I understand that we have a game uh, in hand, but we also still have matches against Liverpool. We United. still have to go to United. We still have to go to Goodison Park, which is never easy for Chelsea. And you're going out, and you're already putting these quotes out. I mean, this is very, very reminiscent of the downfall of Mourinho or the downfall of Conte. When they started speaking negatively, there's really no turning back. And it's weird because we've never really seen managers be super-duper negative this season in the Premier League. I mean, of course, Mourinho aside. But in the last week, we've seen two managers do something very uncharacteristic. And one is sorry, lying through his teeth, saying Jorginho is not, not suitable for the 4-2-3-1. No, he is suitable for the 4-2-3-1. You just have to find a way to make it work. That's how the Premier League is, Right. You can't walk in and establish a system in one season and have it work to perfection. You have to have backup plans. And the lack of a backup plan is part of the reason why he thinks Jorginho can't play the 4-2-3-1. That's point number one. Point number two is – or manager number two that, that's kind of surprised us was Pochettino. This week, his his comments were very negative. You know, He talked about the, the, the player's mentality and – and 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 the and the pressure and how it might be getting to them and those are two guys I usually never talk about those kinds of things right but anyways yeah. going back going back to the whole sorry point you know we had Sesk he won two league titles doing that and keeping it in mind that under in under Conte he was mainly used as a super sub but still used at the double pivot is just ridiculous to me I mean it, it, it's an excuse it's nothing else but an excuse and I under I don't understand why he would say that when in reality he could have gone out in that press conference and addressed the question in a different way by saying well look who I brought on to replace him I wanted to be more direct I wanted to attack we needed a goal and Jorginho doesn't provide that and if you're Jorginho and Maurizio Sarri says something like that Okay, yeah, I could see the point. I don't really score many goals. Uh, all the haters, I, I don't get many assists, right? Like it's 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 that argument where he's just bringing on someone more attacking. It could have th- this could have been a question that w- could have been answered in one sentence. You know, it just could have mm-hmm. been like, I took Jorginho out to bring on Willian. I wanted to be more attacking. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And like, okay, going off of you know the part of the quote where he says. If you want to play one touch, you need movements from the other players. Yes, there is an onus on the players to understand the movements and to actually execute it on the pitch, right? But, sorry, you also picked a squad that was hardly rotated, that looked exhausted after the first 20 minutes of the match, and you put them in the same system they've been playing all season in. What are you doing at training that's not making these players understand what type of movements they they need to be making off the ball. Andres, you you mentioned how you know he's telling the players what they can and can't do. This is case in point, man. I mean, like we need movements from the other players. Well, the other players aren't making the movements because you're not telling them what movements to make. If you want the players to be these this this example of of your idea of football on the pitch, and you want to hypothetically kick every ball that's being played in the match they have to know what to do otherwise it gets to a point where you go up to some of your players and you'd be like look just do you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And, and i just feel like these players aren't confident enough 
in this system right now at this point in time. And he got he brought guys on like Loftus Cheek, brought on Callum Hudson Adoy. I mentioned earlier that Hudson Adoy didn't have the greatest game, but what did he give us? He gave us a spark. He gave the opposition something to think about on the right-hand side. The very first thing he did when he got the ball, he turned and tried to run at his defender. That's the type of stuff we need to see more of. You got to mix it up. And it's just it's it's just very frustrating. Like I I feel like he's not taking he hasn't taken one bit of responsibility all season. Even when he mentioned that like, "Oh, I can't motivate the players. They're impossible to motivate." You know, it's not like he, he didn't go out and say, "I'm going to do whatever it takes to get these guys motivated." Or if the guys aren't motivated, then their ass is going to be on the bench. He didn't say any of that. He didn't take any initiative as a manager. Take initiative. Take the blame. I mean, that's what you're you're supposed to deflect all the pressure and you're supposed to deflect all of the negativity and, and, and media bullshit stories away from the players so they can play. You're supposed to absorb all of that. I mean, you're the manager. You're the face of this team. And that's what I don't understand. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that was the first time I really went in on sorry this whole season, but like it's it's totally warranted in this situation. He's just not taking any ownership of the on-field product, and, it, and it's starting to get to me. Um, and speaking of, uh, of, of you know, the on-field product, you know, this is our first draw after three wins. So at Black Emoji uh, tweeted at us, uh, Roman's Empire uh, podcast ultra now, according to some. Um, and according to us, too, he's actually pretty cool. So uh, he asks us, first draw after three wins. Is Sorry back to losing his job? <sighs> and here's the thing, because – He's right. We this is the first time we drop or or not get a win in, in four games. But it's it's all the stuff surrounding it. It's just it, it's how he's losing points and how he's managing the situation. It's like you had a golden opportunity this weekend to essentially control your own destiny for the remainder of the season because. Let's let's be real. Had we gotten the three points after what Spurs did in terms of that game in hand and whatnot, we could have ended the season in third place. But now with the tie, yes, it could have been worse with a loss. Thank you, Eden Hazard. We still are fighting for it, but we're depending on other people to mess up. And, and along the way, we still have to play a, a red hot Man United team and Liverpool who are still in the title race. So those two games are going to be gritty and it's just man it's it, it's everything surrounding it because again we have a transfer ban coming which we will talk about in part two of the episode but if you're refusing to rotate now next season the squad's going to be a lot different a lot younger and a lot less experienced like it, things like what happened today or on sunday with the lack of of tactical uh, fluidity or or bringing in the youth to, to send in a spark or, or, or show a different side. Like all those things are necessary for how tough next season is going to be, how tough a potential champions league run is going to be like, he's essentially showing Chelsea fans and the board that he might not be able to do it long-term. And that's the scary part about it. Like, yes, we still can get top four and yes, we can still win the Europa league. But it's the way he's going about it that I think is what's scaring me the most is that I don't feel like we're going to – even if we do – I think it's going to be a scrape by, whether it's the Europa League or the top four. And 
and it doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth for what will happen during the summer and going into next season and and that's what's bugging me and it's not about maybe losing his job based on what he's doing on the on terms of results but it might be in terms of what Chelsea might be wanting to do in the next couple of years with that ban coming I mean like uh, again uh, I know a lot of people are going to jump on me but like I I'm not sorry I I just think it's too late to fire a manager at this point especially you know considering there is eight match days left in league. We still have a shot at Europa and an outside shot at the top four. I wouldn't say we're the favorites, but it's you're foolish to think that it's over at this point. Um, it, it, and it's not, and frankly, it's not over until it's mathematically over because we don't know what ha- what's going to happen in terms of injuries, suspensions, uh, uh, possible upsets, things like that. Right. So until both the league and winning the Europa League are completely out of reach he's safe now with that being said if he does achieve one of those he should be allowed to keep his job through the summer because he hasn't gotten the players in that he wanted to he wanted a Jorginho backup and he was very adamant on that and he didn't get it and now we're starting to see why he wanted one because Jorginho just looks exhausted right um and two He's fitting square pegs in round holes here. It's his first season, and he's trying to transform the way this club and this team play. And he has a squad of ma- of, of players that are used to playing in a low defensive block and hitting teams on the counter. He has aging wingers. He has one winger that's <laughs> our best player is possibly going to leave. We haven't had any positivity from our strikers this season, Iguain included. Um, you know, Loftus Cheek with his injury is unfortunate. You know, if Loftus if Loftus Cheek didn't constantly get injured this season, you know, and and if he stayed relatively injury free and put together, you know, fifteen to twenty straight matches of of you know uh, uh, of him being fit and available to play, I think a lot of results would have gone the other way. I I think if we got cover at right back, that would have done us a huge deal because Dave started out the season really well. And sort of tailed off, and we're just we're just starting to see little bits and pieces of what Sari was anticipating, right? As a, as as the season was going on, but now it's all starting to fall apart at the same time. I feel like, and it, 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 who knows? It might be too little, too late. I still don't think it is. There's eight matches. That's what 24 points still on the board. Um, but you know, I mean, if you ask me, I keep them till the end of the year. And I wait to, until May to commit to him long term because it's until May or the end of this season where he has to put together a body of work between now and that time period that is going to be enough to convince the board, hey, we're going to give you another season and we're going to give you resources. And, that, and that's assuming if the transfer ban is you know uh, <laughs> postponed, which good God. I mean it, it, and that's what I mean. Like it gets worse and worse. It's not only it's not only the on field product that's suffering, right, Andres? It's more like the fan culture is suffering. And I feel like the fan culture took a giant step backwards with the whole racism stuff and like, you know, uh uh the different types of abuse that the players are getting. Like you mentioned how you wanted to talk about Jorginho getting booed off before we started recording, which I just think is fucking ridiculous on every single level possible if he's wearing a chelsea shirt you don't boo him and i said the same thing last year about bakioko so if you're gonna go ahead and call me a hypocrite go ahead and look for that episode where i said that because i specifically remember mentioning that i don't care the only way i will ever boo a chelsea player is if he openly 
and 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 you know if he disrespects the badge purpose on purpose right like if he purposely goes out and intentionally disenfranchises the club with that intention that's the only way a player is ever warranted to get booed off but having someone booed off or, or booing someone when they come off or cheering when they come off just because you don't like them as a player is is ridiculous because look at the end of the day he's still in a chelsea shirt if arsenal fans did that to uh, I don't know, take your fucking pick. Who uh, Abu Diaby, right? Like <laughs> I, I I don't give a fuck. Like, like like take your pick. Any Arsenal midfielders, similar position, whatever. If Arsenal did that, or Spurs did that, or United did that, we would be pointing and laughing and making fun of them, and we would actually make fun of them on this podcast too, probably. So I just think that's ridiculous. So I mean, what's your whole take on like the Jorginho thing coming off? Because we talked about the formational shift and how that made sense, but the fans really cheering him when he comes off. And at first, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist at heart, so I was like, okay, Willian scored a banger against Kiev. Maybe they're excited about the fact that we're trying something different. But it's just like everyone is just scapegoating Jorginho because sorry coming was tied up to him coming to and, and he Easy is target. sorry ball. Right. And all, all that. And it's just like, like you said, he's wearing the kit. He's trying his hardest. Like his man, teammates love him. I mean, you yeah, saw the celebration against Fulham. Everybody I, went over there to congratulate him. Right. Nobody has an issue with him. It's not like, it's just frustrating. And like you mentioned, like nothing is going right for the club in the big picture of things and, and the fans acting that way is obviously extremely unfortunate. Like I would get booing Courtois. I get booing. Like, I don't know. I think it was like, if you're a Madrid fan and you're upset with kind of like what Isco said about how, like essentially other players who don't deserve it, getting more minutes than him, like things like that. I understand, but Jorginho has only said the right things He's only tried doing the right things. Like, it's funny how a week ago he gets saying his name in, in Fulham, and now people are back to hating him. Like, yeah, that's not week. that's not how it works. But let's let's finish off this episode with one happy thought, and it I, I just want to go back and talk about Eden Hazard for a second because that goal, like, thank mm. the only person that could have been able to do that and and rescue anything was Eden Hazard, and mm. oh my god, like. Uh, I, I got even after that goal, I was like, okay, oh, my God, we might actually be able to get all three points. And I know I'm stupid for thinking that, but that's the kind of goal it was. I was well, just there was that there was that right off the kickoff that I, I think we we nicked possession again. We flung mm-hmm. it up the pitch. And then I had like this spring of, of, of hope where like, oh, my God, if we could just get it into if we could get the ball into the box. Someone's going to put it in. There's oh, no man. way. And it is, unfortunately, he scored with only like what, like a minute and a half yeah, left. Yeah, there was like, right. But that goal was something else because you know, you know, he's going to his right foot. The mm-hmm. keeper was even preparing to go into his far post, and the shot still goes in. Like, oh my god, it was just he, fantastic. Eden Hazard is just amazing. He sort of trademarked that shot, right? Like where he cuts inside to his right, gets that half yard of separation, and then he puts. 
he doesn't necessarily bend it like 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 an Aryan Robin would, who also cuts inside and is like known mm-hmm. for that trademark. It's, but it's not a side footed shot. No, it's it it it, it it's more like a kind of like a knuckleball that's and it and it bounces and it's, it's going through spin. all these yeah yeah it's going th- it's going through all these different players legs i mean that is a nightmare for a keeper i mean i i bet nine times out of ten a keeper would rather see that ball pop up into the air towards the top corner than not being able to see the ball until the absolute last minute when it went into the bottom corner it, it, it's it's that's the thing though and this is my concern and I, I i guess i guess we'll save it for the next podcast because we are gonna or the next episode because we are gonna talk about this hazard to madrid rumors so i mean with that being said i guess we could kind of end this episode on that high note of you know we got a friendly reminder of how brilliant eden hazard is and how crucial he is to our squad so um yeah like i said that's the end of this this part of the podcast uh this is part one go make sure to download or 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 stream part two where we will talk zidane de real the implications of that the also the implications of the transfer ban um an update on that situation as well um and then a match preview against everton which is uh always a difficult match for us to go to goodison park so uh yeah make sure you check out the second episode and uh we look forward to uh talking to you that